Well, today I'm really excited about starting this series about basic Christianity. And you think about the song we just sang, Christ being the center of our lives. Jesus obviously is the center of Christianity, the center of everything we believe. If you take Jesus away, all the rest of it falls apart. It's all centered on him. And one of the challenges that's implicit in that is whether our lives actually align to what we believe. So we would say, I, I believe Jesus is Lord. I believe he is the, you know, he's supreme. I believe he's the creator, he's the judge. But then when it comes to our lives and our decisions, is he at the center of our lives? So we'll explore that a little bit more as we go forward. But I also wanted to invite you to pick up a copy of this book when you walk out the door today. We have a free one for every one of you. Um, grab a copy and th this book will parallel what we'll talk about in church over the next 10 weeks. And what basic Christianity is and what John Stott has put together for us is a journey not just in the fundamentals, I mean it is that, but it's also why we would believe those fundamentals. So if maybe you're like me and you'd say, I've kind of grown up in Christian culture, I've had, had these things as what I would call fundamental beliefs since I was young, but I'm not exactly sure if I could articulate why I believe the things that I believe. Why is Jesus the Lord? Why, did, why do I believe he rose from the dead? Why do I think that changes everything? Um, so this book is a great resource for that. And as we walk through it, we won't, you don't have to bring this book on Sunday morning with you. We'll be kind of preaching messages next to the book. So it'll follow the themes and kind of the order of logic in it. But the book really is supplemental. It's to expand your experience. So you'll come and hear something here in church on Sunday morning and think, man, I wish I could, I wish I could think about that again or maybe take that to the next level. Study that a little bit more. Uh, the book will be right there as an option for you to be able to go deeper. So I, I hope you'll take advantage of that. Um, I really believe it will uh, bless you. I first ran into this book when I was 20 years old. And it was one of those times, which I think all of us probably go through at different intervals in our life, when I was starting to wonder, do I actually believe this stuff, or was I just raised in it and thus I never had a different option? Like, do I really believe in Jesus, or is it just my parents believed in Jesus and I kind of followed them into that? Um, when, you, when you reach points like that, sometimes God brings you know, different people into your life to help you find assurance or confirmation of your faith. Sometimes God will bring different scriptures to light. Uh, for me, this book, Basic Christianity, really helped me walk through, you know, because there's, there's a lot of things that you can talk about and even get excited about that are kind of complicated about faith and religion and the Bible. But if you strip all the complexities away and say, what is it that we believe? What's the center? And if that center is Jesus, why do I believe in him? Uh, this book really helped me come to that conclusion myself, and I hope it helps you as well, all right? So it says one chapter per week, although that's not true this week because there's an introduction, chapter one. Chapter two is where you need to land this week. So if you wanna read along, read up through the end of chapter two, you'll be ready for next time uh, as we journey through this together. So what we want to do is start off um, right at the very core of Christianity with Jesus himself, say, do we believe Jesus? Do we believe what he said? Do we believe what he claimed? Why do we believe that? Uh, so we're going to look at two verses in the Gospel of John today to kind of get us warmed up in this. And, uh, and both of these, I would say, are audacious claims. When Jesus says this, it's one of those things where if, he's, if he says this and it's not true, you go, man, this guy is crazy that he would say this. Meanwhile, 
if he is correct in what he's affirming, what he's claiming, uh, that has big implications for you and for me as his followers. So, John chapter 5, go to verse 39. Jesus is looking at people who, well, throughout their lives, they've been, they've been of the sort that would study all sorts of things. They would learn every jot and tittle of the Old Testament law. They would debate it. They would think about it. And they thought that the more they studied the Bible, the closer to God they would be. Here's what Jesus said to them, verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But these scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. You can see why Jesus made waves, right? I mean, these are people that spent their lives studying the Old Testament. And Jesus walks up and says, hey, everything you're studying is about me, and you're not even willing to listen to me. (laughs) And therefore, you're not coming to life. Then he said in the next phrase, your approval means nothing to me, which is always a way to make people like you if you tell them that. Um, So the people were, they were riled up. So at one moment, Jesus would be performing a miracle and everybody would be excited, like, wow, maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe maybe Jesus can heal my ailment, whatever that is. And then they would kind of lean in closer and say, tell us more, Jesus. And he would say something like this. And they would move from being fans to being like vehement enemies of Jesus, wanting to kill him because of these claims he was making. He took it up a level in John 8. That's where I'd like us to look for a couple minutes here. John 8, Jesus is in another one of these discussions with people, and initially they're interested. Some of them even said they they were believing in him. Like they were looking at Jesus going, all right, like his miracles are real. His teaching is amazing. I want to follow him. So, okay, Jesus, can you tell me more about who you actually are, where you came from, what this all is about? And that's when people started heading for the exits when he would explain the bigger picture. So look with me at verse 50. Jesus said, I have no wish to glorify myself. God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge. I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. Now immediately, what what do you think? Wait, I know a whole bunch of good people who didn't live forever. Like a bunch of people died. What are you saying about all of them? Did everybody that we know of has died? All the good people of history. Well, they they flagged that. The people said in verse 52, now we know you're possessed by a demon. It's amazing how like the the pendulum would swing. Like, hey, maybe we believe in you. Ah, no, you're demon possessed. I mean, it was one or the other, right? There was no middle ground here. Um, He says, even Abraham and the prophets died, yet you say, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died. And so do the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, If I want glory for myself, it doesn't count. But it is my father who will glorify me. You say he is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you. But I do know him, and I obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? 
Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and he left the temple. A lot going on here, right? People are thinking, maybe Jesus is special, and then when they hear what his claim actually is, they're ready to kill him. He goes way too far, in their mind. He, he crosses the line of blasphemy and far further. And it gets the, the, the maximum of this is right at the very end of this text when he's talking about this interaction about Abraham. You're not even 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? He says, oh, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. Notice he didn't say I was, like just I pre-existed Abraham. He said I am, which means something in the Bible. Does anyone remember that statement? Where does I am come from? Yeah, Moses at the burning bush. When Moses said, you've got to tell me your name, God, and God said, I am that I am. So here you've got Old Testament scholars debating with Jesus. He walks up to them, before Abraham was even born, I am. What was Jesus saying to them? I am. Like the God you're worshiping, the God of the burning bush, the God who rescued Israel, the, the God that is in the Old Testament, like I am that person. So for them, when someone makes a claim like that, you either have to completely dismiss it, like this person is insane, or you have to accept it. But there's no way to kind of go, well, maybe he's halfway right. And maybe he sort of is. No, he either is or he isn't. When you make a claim this bold, this audacious, there's no middle ground. So what do we do with this claim? Now, this isn't the only time in the Bible that Jesus claims this, right? He's over and over again. This is why they crucified him ultimately. They, they, they liked the miracles. They liked the free food when he would multiply it. They, they liked the teaching about love your neighbor. But what they didn't like was him getting up and saying, God is my father. I've been to heaven. I'm coming down from heaven and talking to you. I'm your judge. Like they didn't want to hear any of that. And here we are. 21 centuries later, and we might not want to hear that either. So here's, here's a way of thinking about our faith in Jesus. When he makes a bold claim, like I am, what do we do with that? Well, option one is we could say it's true. I agree with Jesus. I don't think he was lying, and I don't think he was crazy, so therefore, yes, he, he is the Lord. So the song we just sang about Jesus being the center, I agree with that song. The other option you have is to, is to look at what Jesus said and say, this is false. And then you say, well, why is it false? Either he's crazy or he's lying. Really only end up with three alternatives, right? Either he is the Lord or he's lying or he's crazy. So when you see these audacious claims of Jesus, what do you think? Now, here's what we all kind of wish for, maybe what the world wishes for. Some sort of middle ground. Some sort of way to make peace with everybody. To kind of look around the room and go, you know, you can believe that if you want to, but I don't have to believe that. Right? We want that comfortable middle. So what people will say is, oh, I respect Jesus. I think Jesus was an amazing teacher. 
Jesus was a moral leader. Jesus was a miracle worker. But I don't really buy the fact that he's God. Is that even a possible middle ground to take? Let me read you the words of C.S. Lewis. He was actually the one who kind of originally popularized this, this logic that's on the screen of the choices that we have when we encounter the claims of Christ. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Now think of that for a second. If Jesus is lying about his claim to be God, then can you say he's a great moral teacher? If every other sentence he's saying is he's lying to you? Well, no, of course not. Or if he's crazy, do you say crazy people are great moral teachers? No. He says he would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or he would be a devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or he's a madman or something even worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. You can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come to any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems obvious to me that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely this may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Jesus forces a choice upon all of us, a choice that's uncomfortable in a world that likes to keep its options open. Now, I think we think this is a new thing, but the world has always been that way. Anyone who would stand up and make an exclusive claim to truth, people are going to resist that. It's always been more comfortable to say, you have your way, I have my way, you know, I'm not going to judge you that harshly, we just think differently. But, but there wouldn't be a moment when Jesus would be, you know, sitting in lounge chairs with some of the great philosophers of history, kind of raise his hand and go, guys, I have another idea. Like, try this. Like, that's not how Jesus rolled. You could see that in the verses we read, right? I mean, Jesus was saying, this is the way. Examples of how he claimed things that made people feel uncomfortable. He claimed to be sinless. He claimed to be the world's Messiah. He claimed to be the judge of everyone. Say, maybe I could stomach the Messiah thing. Like, I like that, but I don't know if I want him to judge me. Um, Jesus claimed to be able to grant eternal life and to forgive sins. And people would immediately flag that. And they'd say, wait a minute, no one can forgive sins except for God alone. Jesus would say, you're right. True. Jesus claimed to be God's son. He claimed to have come down from heaven. So as this was happening... Some people were getting more and more committed to Jesus because they recognized his claims, they believed him. Other people were getting more and more opposed to Jesus to the point where they were actively conspiring to kill him. There wasn't a middle way in between. There was no like comfy middle where you could say, ah, oh, yeah, we'll all get along. When Jesus makes a claim like, I am, you either have to accept it or reject it. 
the ultimate claim that Jesus made is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus said that about himself. I was thinking about how I respond to claims that people make, maybe if they're kind of fantastic sounding. We've all experienced this online, right? Some pop-up window comes up and it says, man, we found some herb that's going to just make you into a superhero and all you got to do is take it, it's going to be 40 bucks a month and you're good to go. So you, you see the claim. Most of us are in tune enough to just automatically dismiss claims like that because we've seen those before. We say, man, you know, unless it's coming from a credible source, for the most part, it's all just sales tactics. But if you, if you look at the claim and you say, I think I, I, I'm willing to believe that, I want to believe that, what's your next step? Is that the end of it? You just go, I'm willing to believe it? Well, now you would scroll down and what would you find? Here's some evidence of the claim. Like, here's a testimony of someone who became a superhero. And you go, wow, I want to look like that guy. Uh, here's, here's another person who feels healthier than they ever have. Here, here's, here's some scientists or doctors who are saying why this is going to work. You evaluate the evidence. First you hear the big claim, and then you start looking at the evidence. Today, we're looking at the big claim that Jesus made. A claim that if you think of it, is so fantastic that if any of us made it to one another, we would immediately say, that person's crazy. I don't even think we would say they're lying. Like, we'd skip right past that option. We'd just say, that's, that's crazy. I'm not, I don't believe you. You want to tell me you're from heaven and you're God? And No, I, I don't think that. I know you. I live in the same community as you. So the people in Jesus' day were going through that same dynamic. They had to decide what they were going to do with this bold claim that Jesus was making over and over and over again as he would look up to heaven and say, my father. They're like, wait a minute, who, who do you think you are? If someone asks you why you're a Christian, you might have a variety of answers to that question, but I can tell you some of the insufficient answers. I grew up in church is not a good answer to the question, why are you a Christian? It might be your only reason, I don't know, but that's not a good enough reason. Uh, that, won't, that won't help you stick with it in the hard times. It might just be that you like Christianity more than the next religion. That could be true, but that's not enough of a reason. Here's the reason why I'm a Christian. It's because I see the claims of Jesus and I believe in Jesus. I've looked at the, estimony, or the, the, the testimonies, I've heard the evidence, but at the end of the day, made a choice of faith to believe in Jesus. He makes these bold claims. I have to decide, to me, is he, is he the Lord or do I think he's lying or crazy? As soon as I cross the bridge and say, I trust Jesus, I believe him, man, everything about life and perspective changes from that moment forward. He's the center of Christianity and thus he's the center of reality. So you could look around and you could say, if Jesus really is the center, then he's the center of everything that's real. And things that don't have Jesus at the center aren't the real thing. They're, they're, they're getting us off track from what life is supposed to be. If we would say he is the Lord, then it also follows that he is my Lord and your Lord. So what I'd like us to do, and we'll do this a few times throughout this series, is just do a think-through of a part of the scriptures. 
So I want you to turn with me. If you have your Bible with you or you can pull one out from the seat in front of you, this would be helpful to read along with. In the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul starts to celebrate who Jesus is and he essentially takes the claims of Jesus and he turns it into a statement of doctrine. And to hold it up and say, this is what we believe about Jesus who we're following. We're not just following a great teacher. He was that, but he was more. We're not just following a miracle worker. We're not just following a great rabbi. Jesus is a lot more than any of those things. So let's start in verse 15 and read about Jesus. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and he is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him, which includes you and me. He existed before anything else. He holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and though and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So that's what we believe about Jesus. His audacious claims translate into a really bold and audacious belief system, right? That we're saying he is supreme. He's not just one among many good things out there. He's it. So the Apostle Paul, who's writing to this church of Colossae, and when he writes, he's writing from prison because he was actually captured and imprisoned and being tortured because he believed in Jesus and not the Roman government of that time. Verse 23, or verse 21, he says, This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your own evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance that you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries, generations past, but has now been revealed to us by God's grace. For God wanted them to know that the riches, of glory, the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles also. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect 
in their relationship to Christ. Think about it this way. If Jesus is the center of Christianity and the center of reality, and everything is about him, the most important thing for you is what is your relationship to him. There's nothing else that would matter more than that. If Jesus is the center, your first question, like the thing you should be worried about is, well, okay, if Jesus is the center, how am I connected to him? What is my relationship to him? Paul writes that in verse 29, that's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. He wants to make sure these people have a right relationship with Christ. Don't miss it. This is what life is all about. He says, I want you to know how much I've agonized for you and for the church of Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. Jesus is the center. Jesus is the plan. In him lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want to know what's really going on? What life is really about? You want to take a great leap forward in your understanding? Get to know Jesus. I'm telling you this so that no one will deceive you, verse 4, with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you're living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will be overflowing with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies or high-sounding arguments that come from human thinking or from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For Christ lives, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. But if you want to see what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to understand what God would do in a situation or how God would speak, look at Jesus. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. So I want my life to be complete. I want to understand what it really is like to, like, what's the fullness of it, what it means to be a human being? Have a relationship with Christ. Connect with the center. That's where all of this intersects, where it all makes sense. So when we see the claims of Jesus... And we understand that everything about Christianity is built on him. There's no reason to even entertain the rest of what Christianity suggests unless you entertain what Jesus claimed to be and what he did. So Jesus is the center. Is he yours? What will you do with the audacious claim of Jesus when he looked at a group of people and said, I am. Your answer to that will determine who you are. Let's pray. Let's ask for his wisdom. Lord, we read in this text that in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Whatever life actually is, whatever the future actually is, whatever we're supposed to be, All those answers are wrapped up in you. 
that you are supreme over all creation, that you made us for your purposes, and walking in this world among us was an act of your grace, Lord, you didn't send some representative to talk to us. You came and talked to us. And when we look at Jesus, we're seeing the fullness of God. So Lord, I suppose there's two sets of people in this room, just like there are two options we have in response to your claim. Those of us who have agreed with you that your claim is true, we put our faith in you as a result of that. We've heard the testimonies, we've looked at the evidence, we've decided to move forward in our lives on the premise that you are the center, and now we're to align our lives to you. So I pray that you would help us to be very intentional about how we do that. Then I suspect that there is another group here who are still looking at the claim that you made and either feeling like it's false or not sure. If that's you, just not in prayer, but just speaking to you as my friends for a moment, I would encourage you to pray about that to God. You might even pray, Lord, I don't even know if you're there, but if you are, I pray that you would help confirm this in my heart. Just, just voice that you're willing to listen if God wants to speak. Open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John in the Bible and read about Jesus himself. See the claims for yourself. I believe God will use that to confirm the truth to your heart. For me, I came to reckon with this myself and decided to put my faith in Jesus instead of any other religious figure, instead of my own understanding, to see the claims of Christ and to say, yes, Lord, you are the Lord. So, Heavenly Father, as a whole church family here, we, we know that um, you've called us to follow you, and this is why. In the weeks to come, Lord, we're going to keep opening up the Bible to see what it is that we claim to believe as Christians and why it's so important for us. I pray that you would help us on each step of that journey. Also, as we open up this extra book, Basic Christianity, that can help us think differently than maybe we've ever thought or put things together in a way that um, helps us see the bigger picture. I pray that you would use that tool in our lives in the next 10 weeks and that it would point us to dive deeper into what your word says and to who you actually are. We look forward to learning, to growing, to strengthening our commitment to you as a result, and then walking by faith, trusting you as the center of reality to be the one who would carry us forward in life. So thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you that you care for us, you love us, and you invite us to seek you. We commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you. I'll see you next week. And remember to read up through the end of chapter two in your book, which is out in the lobby. See you then.